0: You're listening to Cross Life, the college ministry of Grace Bible Church in Bozeman, Montana. Our current series is Imago Dei, a study of how the character of God impacts your daily life. My name is Andy, and uh, I'm on the pastoral team here, working with my brother Tanner. And uh, last week, if you guys have been here um, this semester, we've been going through a series called Imago Dei, which is pretty much it's referring back to Genesis 1, man was created in the image of his creator. Man was created in the image of God. What does that mean? That's one of those verses that we we read over so quickly in Scripture. And it has totally, um, and, and uh, as we, what we've been doing is, okay, if we have been made in the image of our creator, then we should know this creator. And I want to know who he is, because it's, My creative, created job to reflect him. We had this mirror several times. This is what you were created to do to God. You are not an end in yourself. God is the end. You you are created to reflect him, to bear his image. Don't you think it would be important To know who he is. And uh, last week, Matt, brother Matt, our pastoral apprentice, was teaching on very well on that God is wise. Man, that's going to flow. Do you believe that God is wise? We're going to find out tonight. Because if God is not wise and he is almighty, a foolish God who has all power? That's a scary thing. We looked at um, his wisdom in creation, and I loved the examples he gave us of uh, the stars and cosmology and cosmetology and all those things that I didn't understand. But when I see like how great God is in the human body and in the stars, and I'm like, man, Lord, you you blow my mind. You're so much bigger. Then I think of you on it on my day to day basis. We looked at God's wisdom in Jerusalem or the Jews, God's chosen people, the, the Old Testament story, and how He used them in His wisdom to bring salvation, and then the coming of Jesus Christ and the wisdom of the cross, which is it's foolishness to men. Matt said that really well last week. This week we're going to look at. Uh, God is almighty. And um, on your notes, if you don't have notes, the guys at the back do have some for you. Uh, We're gonna hit a lot of scriptures tonight. I don't expect um, that you're gonna be able to turn fast enough with me. So I would say 95% of every scripture that I'm gonna read from tonight is on your notes. So uh, if you wanna turn to some and make sure I'm not making stuff up, it's, you, could, you have them there in your notes. Um, and I guarantee this evening, um, after we're done, you're going to want to reread some of these passages that we're going to go to. And um, I'm going to introduce this evening's subject this way. Uh, in Isaiah 6.1, it says this, In the year of King, that King Uzziah died, this is Isaiah speaking, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. And the throne was high. And the throne was lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And I want to draw your attention to the throne this evening. And I want you to notice something about this throne it's unlike any other throne, it's floating. It's it's called the high and lifted up throne. It's floating because it's most likely it's being carried by cherubs, angels. Their created job to pray, to be in the presence of God and carry his throne. And you say, "Why, why doesn't it just, why don't they just set it down? See, this throne doesn't touch the ground. Do you know why? It's not of the earth. It's over the earth. This is the throne that the Almighty God sits on. And in this courtroom with this throne that is floating, being held by cherubs, everything, everything, everything passes by it for approval. Passes by the Almighty God. The King of Kings, who he places and removes all kings from their sub-thrones on the earth. The Hebrews called him El Shaddai, which means almighty, Shaddai, or we call it omnipotent. Omna all, potent, influencing, powerful. God is omnipotent. He possesses all power and might, and he distributes power among whom and what he is pleased with. These are the decrees that come from and from only this floating throne. Man, Isaiah was changed when he was called to see this. This evening, I want to, I want to, um, through Scripture, crush your little puny views of who God is, because we have weak animated ideas of who we think God is. And you're gonna, we're going to read passages this evening, and it's, you're going to say, God, you're not that big, are you? I, I wrote down a few views that I see Christians, and just the world in general, they think of God. And the first, I call it the grandpa view. And it's this idea that there's this God who's very wealthy, And he's got everything that I want. And if I am just good enough, if I just pray hard enough, if I'm just do the right things, then why would he deny me what I want? You've prayed this before. I guarantee it. I have. Where I say, oh, Lord, please. You're almighty. Would you just call it? You can cause this to happen. You know what I'm doing? I'm making myself supreme and I'm saying God if I do the right things you got to do what I want God serve serve me I hate that view that's a weak view of God and a strong view of me do you see that the second one is uh, and I kind of hinted to this it's omnipotent versus impotent God is he omnipotent Does does he does he possess all power or does, is he impotent? Is he weak? And this is the God who, um, when tragedy comes along, and we say, and we don't believe that God could have stopped that. When the hard things in your life come along, we say things like, God wasn't in that. And I've heard people say, that, that, that wasn't my God. Have you ever heard people say that? That's a weak Enemiated view of who God is according to His Word. The third view of God is a, um, a cruel God. And this view is when hard things happen. We say, where was God? When that event happened, where was God? Why did He allow this to happen to me? I thought He was almighty. And, and I would... I would um, suggest to you that all three of these are wrong, biblically wrong. um, I did not at first enjoy this study. Like some of the the scripture that I was reading, I was like, I don't like what that sounds like. Here's why. It's because Typically, men have a a low view of God and a high view of man. And I went to the Word with a high view of myself and a low view of God, and then I saw that that needs to be switched. When Isaiah saw the throne, you need to have the same response as him. In Isaiah 6, 5... Isaiah says, woe is me, I am undone. In other words, curse, curses on me. I should fall to pieces, my arms and legs, and I should just crumble into a pile of ash before this, before this, God. If you don't have that view this evening, you will not like what we're going to talk about this evening. You're going to say, that's not my God. And you'll look at scripture and you say, "Andy, you interpreted that wrong," or "That's Old Testament stuff. It's New Testament." And I would suggest that you have a low view of God and a high view of yourself. I was studying in Cold Smoke Coffee House this week, and last week, and the week before on this. Um, it, this is this has been a, this has been a good study for my soul. For my realization of God's Shaddai, his almightiness, has caused me to recoil and to tremble and to be much afraid. As Job says, My God is great and I do not know him. And I'll be honest with you, my, my flesh resists the extent of who God is. And the only hope I have is to know that I am Christ's and he is mine. C.S. Lewis, in one of his quotes, um, a person in reference really to God, said, is this God safe? Is he safe? And the response was, who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe. He's not a kitten, but he is good. And I think that that's what we're going to find tonight, that our views of a safe God who serves me is not right. Guys, I want to prepare you this evening for trials. I want God's Word to prepare you so that when your friend gets hit by a car, so that when you find out that you have cancer, so that when your friend has an abortion, so that something terrible has happened, that you will have a strong view of who your God is. Scripture does not shy away from these subjects. It hits them head on. You need to know about it. You need to know what God's word says. Omnipotent, almighty, Shaddai, all of these words. Psalms 115:3 says this, "Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases." Almighty God means, I want, to, I want to explain to you, three things that Almighty means. First, it comes from Daniel 4.35. The Most High does according to His will in the host of heavens, among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay His hand. The first thing about an Almighty God is He cannot be stopped. Okay? His will is to bring himself glory because it's due him. It's his. He is going to display it. Okay? And he cannot be stopped. Our, I think of the, the Tower of Babel just came to my mind and these people who thought, we are going to build a big tower as if we're going to reach up into the heavens and figure out this God. And their end was confusion. He cannot be stopped. The second thing comes from Psalms 115.3. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever He pleases. Not only can no one stop Him, and He is seeking to do His will, which is to bring Him glory, and it pleases Him. His almightiness it, it, you could say he delights in it. He delights in seeing his glory be manifest. And at first you're going to recoil and say, whoa, God, that, that much? Yeah, and it has so much to do it, it, an impact on you too. He does whatever he pleases. Is there things that God can't do? He will not do something that is contrary to the full counsel of his character. Matt taught that God is wise. Therefore, he cannot do something foolish. Right? A while ago, we taught that God is eternal. Therefore, he cannot do something that's just limited to the purpose of just today. His today is in the scheme, in the mosaic of the whole of eternity. There are things that God cannot do if they are against His character. If He's a holy God, then He cannot sin. Hang on to that. okay? There are things that He cannot do because they are against His own character. Thirdly, His power is superior to all other powers, and there is none equal. Isaiah 46, 9-10 says, I am God, and there is none like me saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Another dude just came to mind from the, the New Testament. I think his name was King Herod. I can see him in my children's Bible story, Bible story book from a kid. And he stands up and um, he takes praise from all these people. And he's kind of this big guy and he's like. And, it's, and the people are down here and they're like, behold a God. It was in Rome and it was like, it was a big thing and, and he accepted it. And the dude fell down dead there on the spot and worms ate him. God says, I am God and there is none like me. And I'll give my praise to no other. He is almighty. Let's continue to expand our view of God's Shaddai. Um, This throne, this floating throne that I told you about that the almighty God sits on. And everything passes by for his approval, for his stamp. It doesn't happen unless it's got that. What passes by his approval? First thing that I wrote down that passes by God's sovereign, almighty throne is all governments and all other thrones. Daniel 2.21 says, He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. Romans 13.1 says, For there is no authority. There is no authority. There is none, no authority except from God. And listen to this. And the authority that exists are appointed by God. It's not just the Jews. All authority. That that means Babylon who came and captured the Jews. That means Rome. That means Germany. That means the United States. That means our president, that means our governor. All authority that exists is appointed by God. My wife and I were sitting on the couch thinking through this, and she said, you know, I just, I get this false notion that this country is just going to stand until Christ returns. And she says, I'm realizing that there's been, we're a young country, and we could just come and go like all the others. (laughs) What else passes past God's sovereign throne? creation. Daniel 2.21 says he changes the times and the seasons. Psalms 135.5-7 says, whatever the Lord does in heaven and in earth, in the seas, and in all the deep places. God's sovereign authority takes place in the deepest valley of the ocean and on the highest mount of Everest. It, it, God, it, God rules over it all. Matthew ten twenty nine says there are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin and not one of them falls, falls, dies. Not one of them falls to the ground apart from the Father's will. He's that sovereign. There's a lot of birds out there. He knows them all. He's sovereign over circumstances. 1 Samuel 2.7 says, The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and He lifts up. Ephesians 1.11 says that he, all things are worked according to the counsel of His will. Isaiah 46.10 says, Declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all, that my, do all my pleasure. And he talks here, calling a bird of prey from the east. He's talking about, I believe, Babylon, who is coming to do destruction to the Jews. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I also will do it. It cannot be held back. Proverbs 16 these are big pictures and then there's Proverbs 16:33 the lot is cast into the lap but it's every decision is from the Lord every roll of the dice in Reno but it's every decision is of the Lord is your view of God's sovereign almighty power that big John 9, Jesus, a man blind is before Jesus. And um, the disciples want to know who sinned, whose fault's this? Was it his or was it his parents? Jesus said, neither. This man nor his parents sinned, but, but what? But he was born blind that the work of God should be revealed in him. God caused, allowed this man to be blind so that his work could be manifest in him. He's that almighty. God is uh He's almighty over even things like weird little tiny molecular designed things down to the smallest atom. Jesus demonstrated in John 2 where he morphed water to wine. In John 20:19 he walked through walls. Nothing holds him back. Mark 15:9 appearing in different forms. Luke 24:31 vanishing. Like there, there's no power on this earth that we set up that doesn't that he's like, "Ooh, that's a head scratcher." How am I going to get through that wall? No, nothing. Nothing. Not if it will bring him glory. It will not hold him back. Because that will be his delight. And his delight is to see himself glorified. When the Bible declares God is almighty, it means over all, over anything, and over everything. And I wrote down here in the bottom... Even the elephant in the room. You see, um, if you've lived for any amount of time, you've experienced trials. And if you haven't, you will. Because each of you will die. Every single person you know will pass away. And when that time comes, and you're faced with... I mean, how do, you, how do we know that... I don't have cancer right now. How do we know that Tanner on his way home from church tonight will get a hit by a car? We don't. There's already been people who have been taken from us. I think of Jocelyn and the beautiful testimony of her life. That's a good testimony for this evening. And you say, where was God when things like that happen?" I had a friend this past week who had a miscarriage. I had a friend just sharing earlier that this year she was divorced. My mother-in-law's best friend died a couple weeks ago. I see marriages crumbling all the time. Where's God in all that? The problem of sin and evil. I wonder if you've ever asked, if I was to ask, like, raise your hand, where was God? I bet you, just about all of us, there'd be somebody who wouldn't raise their hand. Would say, yeah, I've been there. Um, when, I, when I originally was going to, thinking through this, I wanted to talk about um, kingdom living. Christ is the king. And I am in that kingdom. And the point of Christ being my king is that he is over all in my life. And I changed that. And that is true. Um, because I, I think that, uh, especially where you are as students and, and what you are going to be going through, that this has got to, we've got to talk about this. Because I want you to. To anchor into a great Almighty God, I found a quote by an, a very famous, very old atheist whose name is Epicurus, who I believe was revised by David Hume. Um, it says, "Think, think about this: Is God willing to prevent evil, but not able? He wants to, but he can't do it, so he's impotent. He's weak. Then he is not omnipotent." Is he able, can he stop evil, but he's not willing? Then he is evil. He says then he is malevolent, malevolent, evil-minded. Is he both able to stop it and willing? Then where did evil come from? You think about that, I know you do, I think about that. I mean, I try it, my mind goes back as far in eternity as I can think, and I'm like, where did that come from? Is he neither able nor willing? Then why call him God? And if you Google that, there is so much discussion around this idea of how, how can this happen? You know, I'm encouraged that the Bible answers these questions. It doesn't shy away and doesn't give some cloudy answer. But I do warn you, you may not like it. Mostly because your view of God is low and your view of yourself is high. So um, I'm going I'm to challenge you to uh, first humbly and in fear and trembling to look at the scriptures with me and see what it says. I want to know what God's word says. I want to know all of it. And then we're going to temper it with the entirety of his character, at least as much as as we can. Um, Let's look at some passages together. Genesis 3.22. Then the Lord God said, this is after the fall, okay? God said, don't eat of the tree. Don't eat of the tree. And Satan came along. And he told them a lie. And he tweaked it, and I'll show you in a second. And they fell into sin, and what they did was wrong. And what they did deserved death. It deserved a penalty, because God is holy, and sin is dark and holiness light cannot darkness cannot take place in there it's wrong Genesis genesis 322 says then the lord god said behold the man has become like one of us the trinitarian god like one of us to know good and evil did you know that god knows good and evil He knows well of it. I find it really interesting that Satan said to Eve, if you taste of this fruit, you will know good and evil. And so Eve took a bite. She took evil into her hands, and you know what happened? It killed her. And God says, behold, man has become like one of us. Now they know good and evil. Like us. But there's a huge difference when I pick up sin and evil and how God interacts with it. It kills me, it destroys, it separates. Isaiah 45 There is none besides me, I am the Lord and there is no other. And then he's going to to put a capital L on how Lord he is. I'm the Lord, and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. Let me be more clear. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. There's a couple words there you you need to know. Create. I create darkness. I create calamity. Same word as in Genesis 1 when God created. Okay, I don't have a problem with God making peace, but I want to know what he means when he says, I created calamity. What's calamity? The Hebrew word is Ra, it's evil. It is trouble. It's all of the things that you go, why did that happen? And God says, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. And you say, no. What's the alternative? See, the alternative is that It came from some other place, okay? You get this yin-yang going on, that there's this good versus evil, that there's a God and he's fighting against evil. Where did that evil come from? This verse tells me something that I don't like to hear. I was thinking about this today. Does that mean that there's evil if God... God creates ex nihilo, right? He creates it from nothing, He didn't pull from in himself Adam and Eve or in the creation. He spoke and it existed, ex nihilo. When he created evil, that doesn't mean that he contains evil, that he is evil. Absolutely not. But that's a verse to think about. I I will not say that God is evil. I will not say that in him is any evil. And scripture will, will affirm those words. It taught me those words. Let's keep going. Isaiah 13, 6 says, Weep, for the day of the Lord is at hand, and it shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. The destruction is from the Almighty on God's people. Job 6, 4, amazing man, says this. For the arrow, we'll talk more about Job. For the arrows of the Almighty are within me, The Almighty has shot arrows, and they are within me. They're poison arrows. The poison whereof drinketh up my spirit. spirit, The terrors of God do set themselves in array against me. Really, Job? The context of Lamentations is the utter devastation of God's people. Lamentations 3.38. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and evil come? Man, that's a tough one to say. I don't even like saying these verses. They bother me. Because I got this idea of God, and I'm like, no, no. Scripture says, Is it not from the the mouth of the Most High God that good and evil come? Amos 3.6 says, If there is calamity... Ra, same word. If there is evil, Ra, calamity in a city, will not the Lord have done it? Jeremiah thirty-two forty-two. For thus says the Lord, just as I have brought all this great calamity on this people, so I will bring on them all the good that I have promised them. Hosea 6:1 Come let us return to the Lord for he has torn us but he will heal us he has stricken but he will bind us up How do you reconcile those verses in your mind like these are the verses that you lay in bed you think about and you read in scripture and you just quickly read over and you're like I guess I don't understand that we'll read something else Guys you got What do we do with these? Um, I think one of the best ways I I could, we could philosophize, we could talk, and try to uh, give God an out. He doesn't, although he doesn't ask for it. I think the best thing for us to do is to using. Biblical theology, looking at the stories of Scripture, looking at history, see how these verses came to play. I'm going to tell you um, a couple stories, okay? The first story has to do with a, a young man who had um, some younger, a younger brother and some older brothers. His dad had married two women and um, which was common in that day and in this time, and uh, this young man, his mother died, which was was hard. And his father loved his mother, so when his when, when his mother died, that love was transferred to him. Father loved this son, and the brothers saw it and they hated it. And they were jealous and envious, and they would have done anything to get rid of that little kid because his dad had favored him so one day this young son he stumbles across his brothers and he had come out to do an errand comes across them working and they're gathered together and they say here he comes this is our chance so they take the young kid and they throw him into a pit and this, this little boy is thrown down into a deep pit and his brothers stand around the pit talking about how we're going to kill him. We're going to kill him. How are we going to do it? How can we do this so that father doesn't find out? And then one of the brothers, who wasn't there at the time, comes along and he says, you guys you can't kill him. He's our brother. Let's sell him. Well, they were near a road, and um, there were traders who were coming down that road, slave traders, and they took, this, they took their little brother, and they sold him to a foreign country where they would never see him again. Imagine if your siblings did that to you. That's, that's incredible. Some of you are thinking, actually, not that incredible, Andy. I still haven't got the money from my brother. And then they, they, they told this lie to their dad. They ripped up his clothes. They killed probably a lamb, doused his, his clothes in the, in, um, in the blood. They said to the father, you're not going to believe this, but your son was mauled dad by a lion. And they never told him the truth. I'm talking for years and years and years. It sat in their heart. Meanwhile, that little boy hauled off to a foreign nation as a slave. Let me ask you a question. And you look at his life, and he, he goes from one slave ship to prison, which was worse. You know, don't think of Deer Lodge. Think of, I could die in here. This, is, this could kill me. It's bad. Is that an evil story? I would say, yeah. I would say, that if that that happened to somebody I knew, I would be appalled. Let me tell you another story. There was a guy one time, um, loved the Lord. Think of somebody you know who loves the Lord. That was this guy. Had a wife, had a big family, had a successful business, big home. One day, terrorists came along, killed his family. Was that evil? That same day, a big storm came. I'm not sure if it was a tornado or what, but it was a powerful enough storm to knock down his house and kill his children. Was that evil? I think so. And later on, his his business that was was a great he had a great business was wiped out. His health was wiped out. He came to a point where he sat by himself with boils on him and would try to with a with a sheared of pot just scrape off skin so he could get some relief. And to make that worse, his his wife turned against him. Was that evil? Let me ask you another question. God didn't do that, did He? Did He? Really? The the second man's name was Job. You know what he said? The end of of the book of Job, 42-11, this is his perspective. His family came around and comforted him for all the adversity. Ra. That the Lord had brought. I thought Satan did that, right? Did, well, didn't he go by the throne? Remember, he went by the throne, the floating throne, where all the angels give an account, and he said, Can I afflict Job? And God says, Yeah, you can afflict him, but just don't touch his health. So he did it again. Satan comes by the throne again, and God says, You can touch him, but spare his life. And Job got it for all the adversity that the Lord had brought. That little boy, his name was Joseph. You know what Joseph said? Well, when he was an older man and his brothers came to the realization of who he was, they thought, we're dead. <laughs> He's going to kill us. Why? Because God had raised up this little boy to second-in-command. And if he said it, it happened. He could have said, you see those ten brothers? Take them out. And it would have happened. His, Joseph's father died, and they were scared. And this is what Joseph said. This is his perspective. As for you, brothers, you meant evil against me. But God Meant it for good. Right before then, it says, Am I in the place of God? What you meant for evil, God meant it for good. It. What's it? What it? What did God mean for good? As for you, you meant evil, it, against me. But God meant that evil against me for good. What good? What good could have come? Keep reading. It says, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Do you have a problem with your salvation? I mean, I would say no. You realize that Joseph is in the storyline of protecting the seed in the Jews so that the Messiah could come through? God had used this young man. Is he that almighty? Let's, let's, let's talk about this for a second. Does God sin? And I said there's some things that God can't do. If he is holy, then surely he can't. This is what Job tells us. No. No. Job thirty four ten, therefore hearken unto me, you men of understanding, far be it from God that he should do wickedness, and for the almighty that he should commit iniquity. Wow. I don't know how Job has that pers his view of God is expanded past ours. Job, no, God doesn't do wicked. Job thirty-four, twelve, yea, surely God will not do wickedly, neither will the Almighty pervert judgment. Does God do evil things? Does God do sin? No. James 1:13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. No, God does not do evil things. But everything that happens passes by this throne for approval. Josiah, can can I borrow you for a second? I want to give you an illustration. Yeah, let's hop up here. Um, A blacksmith. If I was a blacksmith... And I wanted to make a sword. And I was an excellent blacksmith. And you were to come into my office, my office, my barn, and you would see little me, and you would see a young fella with bulging arms carrying <laughs> carrying the the hammer, you would assume that he is the blacksmith. He is the artist. He is the sword maker. You'd be wrong. You see, what a swordsmith does is he would hire, he would hire a brute. He'd hire a man who can swing a hammer, who can hit hard. You know what the swordsmith does? I'll show you. Go ahead. Just keep hitting. Keep hitting. keep hitting, (laughs) keep hitting. Thank you. (laughs) What's the illustration saying? You see, um, What is God's role in evil? (laughs) Where was my hand on the sword? You see, in in these men's life, Job, Joseph, Satan had approval to swing the hammer. And God said, and Satan said, can I hit him? God said, yeah, hit him. Can I hit him again? Hit him again. You know where G- you know where God is. His hand is on the man. And he skillfully, craftly holds the man and moves the man and looks and puts him back in. Do you know how I know? I'll show you what scripture says. After all that Job went through, in Job one twenty two and Job 2.10, it says, and in all this, Job did not sin. God, his hand was on Job. I think it would probably be a better illustration to think, how what was God's role in that? I don't think God's hand was just on the man. I would say it's more like, God took the blow, and Joseph and and Job felt the blow inside God's hand. That's what kept Job from sinning. Sin's that bad. Oh, that's it, Andy? He just kept kept from sinning? It's that bad. What about Joseph? What did the master swordsmith God do in Joseph's life? Genesis 39, 2. N21 says this, The Lord was with Joseph. Where was God when that little boy was thrown into a pit? The Lord was with Joseph. Joseph. Where was God when that little boy was sold and grew up in a slave's house? The Lord was with Joseph. Where was the Lord when he was thrown into prison and Satan said, can I hit him? The Lord was with Joseph. That's the first thing. When man picks up the hammer, like he did in Genesis 3, and he knew good and evil, only one thing happens. You fall. You sent destruction. Guys, when God picks up the hammer, behold, now man is like us, knowing good and evil. When God picks up the hammer, you know what he does? He makes, he remakes he redeems and he makes men into his own image. That's what he's doing. He's that good. He is that almighty that when Satan would swing the hammer at your life and hit hard, God would say, Hit him again. His, My hand is on him. I'm going to protect him. And in fact, when I bring him out of the fire and out of the hammer blow, he looks more like me. He's that good. That's a big God. Are you comfortable with that? How do we reconcile, continue to reconcile the almighty God and evil? I wrote down three things. Because I need to reconcile these things in my heart. My heart wrestles with this. I don't like these things. One, humility. Romans 9. That's a tough one. You can read that through that in your own sometime. Paul says, what if? What if God? And then he says, behold the goodness and the severity of God. John Calvin said, we need to just let God be God. We take doctrine like this and philosophy, what it does is it looks at things and it puts God under this microscope and we say, well, if God is this and, hey guys, I heard a guy say one time, we're under the microscope. We don't put God under the microscope. God is looking down into your life. You don't look down into God's intentions and say, oh, what he did was wrong. Guys, we're under the microscope. We don't put God under the microscope. We need to humble ourselves. Isaiah 55, 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. There are some, some things, guys, that we are just in capable of fully explaining there were times in joseph and job's life where they had no clue what was going on but they clung to god to who he was that's amazing and in humility trust his full plan his full plan we'll get to that more in a second the second thing is to bring balance to god's character here's what i mean is um, when we ignore the fullness and the constancy of God's entire character, we either falsely believe him a monster or a kitten. Let me give you an example. Westboro Baptist Church, they major on one, mostly one attribute of God. Philosophy like I read earlier, it majors on God's almightiness. And when we do that and we forget all of the other things that he is, we falsely believe him a monster. Because he is not just this. Now, here's what we do, which is equally wrong. We'll swing the whole way over here and we'll say, God didn't do that. God is love. And then we we, we say, this is his main attribute. You know what we make him then? We make him a kitten. As if he couldn't hurt anybody. He is all of these things. He's also eternal. If you take into context what Matt taught on last week with wisdom and what we taught on a couple weeks before, he is eternal. And you see that, man, that hurts. What happened? But God is wise and he would not do something foolish. He is also, I believe it was Jonathan Edwards says that God can look through life in two lenses. He can look through it in the narrow lens of today like we are living right now. And he sees things happening and he says, God does, Scripture says in Ezekiel 18.32, I have, God says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked in the today. But then God also can expand because he's eternal. He's eternally wise and he sees how this day has been impacted by history and how it will impact the things to come. And he says, this is what must be done. He's not just one thing. He's, he's God. He's all of those things all the time, full on. For example, the tragedy of Joseph is, like I said, is in the storyline of your salvation to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And you look back and you say, wow, that was wise. But if it was happening to you today, you would say, what? The third thing, the gospel. The gospel has a huge role in tragedy. What is that? The, um, the poets and the philosophers, they paint pictures, and I've seen them, of a cruel God whipping his creation, mankind. When the gospel comes, is revealed, the Almighty God enters into the trial, the life with us and he endures the the atrocities of suffering that's been caused by sin. Isaiah says that he was well acquainted with grief. God is not just saying for his proclaiming for his creation to go through the hammer blow. He goes through the hammer blow with them. In a huge way. All that happened to Christ, all the evil Herod's contempt, the crooked trial, the soldier's cruelty, the chanting Jews, all that was was evil. Yet Acts 2.23 says that Jesus, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You see, the gospel is the supreme example of man's evil intentions towards Christ, balanced with God's sovereign providence. Do you see that? God enters in, and what you meant for evil, God meant for good. What did it accomplish? I would say that the gospel is the hammer blow to Christ that makes you into the image of God. If God would not have struck his son, you would have no salvation, you would have no hope. In closing, I want you to to think about this as uh, trials come your way and you're tempted to ask, where is God in my trial? Where is the Almighty in my trial? And I would say, think about it this way. Where was the Almighty God in Genesis 3 at the fall? The same place that he was Job, chapters 2, chapters 1. The same place he was the entire life of Joseph. He He was on his throne. He was on that throne. Where was the all the all powerful God when the greatest tragedy in existence took place—the death of Jesus? He was on his throne. You know what that means? That means that these are not tragedies. They're victories. An almighty, all-wise, eternal, good, loving, Trinitarian God is on his throne and he is working all things to the counsel of his will. For what men meant for evil, God meant for good, his good, his glory. And here's the truth, is that can God's glory come at the expense of what I think is good? Yes. Yes. Humbly, yeah. Jonathan Edwards said, "The greatest good for the Christian is God." Do you have an eternal? Do you have an eternal perception of God? Like, do you realize that as a Christian, it's not just about this life? Paul got that when he said, "For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain." Job got it, and he said. Though he may slay me, still I will trust him. Kill me, God, at least I've still got you. That's amazing. That only comes through Christ. And without Christ, it's not there. I think as Christians, I wrote this down that our vision or our ideas of God and his gospel, they need to go boom. They need to get bigger to see that God is that mighty. Even evil he doesn't shy away from. He, in Job's life, he claimed it. No, that I, I'll take credit for that. I hope you remember that three things: that God is on his throne in your trial. He is still in control. This, yes, even this, has passed before him for approval. Secondly, God's hand is on me in my trial. How do I know because he's keeping me from sin? Thirdly, and you may say, is God for me? Like, is he just so much, like, where's my place? Is God for me in my trial or am am I gonna be crushed? And I think about this, like, even in studying this, I'm like, God, are you preparing me for something? Is God for me and how do I know? Yes, God is for you. Because you, if you're a believer, I've been made into the image of His Son, which is the glory of Himself in and on me. And if the Almighty God is for me, and I am His and He is mine, then who can be against me? He who did not spare His own Son, but freely offered Him up for us all, what shall we say then? What can separate us from the love of God? Height nor depth life nor death nor any other created thing. We're gonna, um, I would encourage you to read the last part of Romans 8. From Romans eight twenty-eight and on. It's beautiful. The guys can come up for um, leading us in worship. We're gonna be singing a song um, that was written by a man who sent his family on ahead of them across the sea, and um, a storm hit, the ship sank, and he received a, um, a telegram from his wife. And this is all the telegram said, saved alone, meaning your children have died and only your wife was saved alone. And uh, I'd like you to, um, I hope that this theology impacts your doxology. That as we read of who God is in Scripture, that as we sing, that you will sing in a deeper, more truer way of who God is, and and that it it will humble you. Go ahead and lead us. Let's all stand together. Thank you for listening to this message from Cross Life. Feel free to share this recording with others, but please do not charge for it or alter the contents in any way. For more recordings or other information about Grace Bible Church, visit gbcmt.org.